Scripture lesson today comes from the prophet Micah, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. Let's share in God's good word together. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Kindness is often ignored. We argue, insult, and forget that we're friends and neighbors and coworkers. But kindness can be intentional. It's listening more and talking less. It's recognizing the value of all people and learning from our differences. Kindness brings us together and has a power to change the world. Kindness brings us together. Kindness has the power to change the world. Do you believe that? Yes. Oh, that's good. That's good. We are in our third week on our Be Kind, uh, Be Just, and Be Humble campaign. All of those are super important, and they've been the core of faithfulness since the time of the prophet Micah. It's still true today. Be just, be kind, be humble. And so when we come to kindness, it's interesting. Um, I think it's always been this way to some degree, but in particular over the last number of years, it seems like kindness has gotten a back seat, that gentleness has gotten a back seat, that killer instinct has been raised to the top. You and them, us and them, not kindness and how do we come together. So let me, let me just start with this. If It's in your sermon notes if that's helpful to you. And I hope you'll say this with me. Kindness is not a weakness. Again, kindness is not a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's the power to change the world. It's the very power to change the world. Which, of course, last week we honored with Dr. King. It was kindness. It was his nonviolent approach that changed the world, not the violence that had gone on every year before. It's kindness that changes the world. It's not a weakness. It's God's superpower. If you look at the life of Jesus, loving kindness, we're going to look at more about what that means. But in Micah's day, he wrote in the year 725 BC. He was a young man, only about 25 years old, and he was writing into a specific context of a tiny little nation, Israel. But he was strategic because it basically was the main trade route between Asia and Africa, and it's still that today. Assyria was the major power in the north. Egypt was the other power down here in the south. And right here in the middle is tiny little Jerusalem and Samaria, the capital cities of Israel and Judah uh, in the divided kingdom at that time in the 700s. And Micah has a word for his people. He looks at what's going on and he knows what's about to happen. And so he warns all of Israel that it's about to fall apart, that they're going to be destroyed because of their injustice, not because of Assyria's injustice, Not because of Egypt's injustice, but because of their own. The way they treated the poor. The way they treated each other. That basically might would make right. If you could get by with it, then you could. Feels very familiar to me. And the prophet says, no civilization will stand that. At some point, you treat people badly enough, long enough, they'll burn your house down. And that's what he says, basically. 
that this will not stand. Now, in this case, Assyria is going to be the one to come and take over. But God simply will not allow injustice to stand day after day, year after year, time after time. And so the prophet Micah says in chapter 3, Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel, who abhor justice. Not, not the right thing. They're abhorring justice and pervert all equity, all fairness. Who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe, he says. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, quite the opposite. Oh, well, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. And then he says, well, therefore, because all that's true. Because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. That's what happens when injustice goes unchecked over and over again. So that's exactly what happens, of course. Fifty years of peace and prosperity in the northern kingdom of Israel. It stops. It ends in 722, just three years later, when the Assyrians conquered them and destroyed their capital city, Samaria, and then took them. They didn't just conquer them. They then took them, enslaved them, and took them back into what would be modern-day Iraq, Nineveh, the capital city uh, then of Assyria, uh, now Mosul, Iraq, if you kind of wanted to put it in today's um, geography. Now imagine this, and maybe, maybe you, if you're, if you're my age, or probably over 21, you already have, have done this. And that is, have you ever been in a relationship that is just terrible? And, and you do the right thing, and they take advantage. And then you do the right thing, and they take advantage. And you think, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to do the right thing, and then they take advantage. And then there's finally a point, there's a tipping point, and you say... I can't live like this anymore. God doesn't require me to live like this anymore. I got to step away from this because it's not going to work. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work. And when you get to that point, as the prophet did with the people, he says, look, this has to change. You know what that person says. Oh, what do I need to do to make it right? Right? And that's what they want to know. The people want to know what one thing they can do to make things right between God and the people. Can I sing Amazing Grace? Can I say a prayer? Now, I know some of you are getting nervous now. (laughs) Micah says, no, 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 no. It's way, (laughs) we're way past that. It's been going on too long. And you all know this. There are relationships that when they're broken, they're broken. And somebody says, oh, can I mow the lawn? No. We're beyond that. Can I do the dishes? You want some flowers? Can we take a vacation? It's not, it's not about those things. It's about your heart. The relationship is broken. You'll see what I'm saying. You know this, right? Somebody says, oh, I, well, it'll be okay because I'll just do this one thing. Micah says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. There is no one thing that you're going to do to make this right. And he was right. It was broken. Broken. Now, would God later forgive and later restore? Yes, but the reckoning was coming and there was no stopping it. Dallas Willard, in his book, Hearing God, says it like this. He says, in many cases, our need to wonder about or even be told what God wants in a certain situation is nothing short of a clear indication of how little we are engaged in his work. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? I just don't know. Yeah, you do. You do. It's very clear. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. We're well beyond the early days of, oh, God, I just don't know what to do. Mm -hmm -mm. You know, 
You've known since you were little. You just don't want to. Or you're not willing to pay the price for it. It's like, no, no, no. Do justice, friends. Do justice. Right? The message translation by Eugene Peterson says it like this. But he's already, God has made it plain how to live. Come on, friends. What to do? You know this. What God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what's fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love, loving kindness. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. And then he goes on in in verse 9. Attention. God calls out to the city. If you know what's good for you, you'll listen. So listen, all of you. This is serious business. Serious business. Friends, justice is not a suggestion. It's serious business, says the Lord. really is. Well, when we talk about this justice, we're like, well, if it's serious business, what is that exactly? It's about closing the distance between the way things are today and the way God meant them to be all along. And you experience this in your life in multiple ways, in your personal life, in your work life, your extended family life. You you know this. It's really not that complicated. It can be difficult for sure, for sure. It's really not that complicated. Now, the Hebrew word for justice appears more than 400 times. In the Hebrew canon, in the Old Testament. That's a lot. It's not a sideshow. It's not a once in a while. It's right in the middle of who God calls us to be. Because we serve a God of justice. Amen? We do. Say it with me. We serve a God of justice. It's his character. And we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And so we too are to be people of justice. Dr. King, um, in his, uh, one of his very last uh, speeches talked about our Christian calling and the moral dilemma of doing what God calls us to do. He talks about the parable that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. He had been traveling the Holy Land, um, and he had been to the Jericho Road, as many of you all have been uh, with me or with Dr. Gurel. And you know, it is a difficult place. So Dr. King writes, he says, you see the Jericho Road? You see the Jericho Road? It's a dangerous road. He writes, I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem, we rented a car and we drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, he said, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. Now, if you are there, you've seen this. It is a winding, meandering road. And it's really conducive for ambushing. I mean, you can't see around the next corner. And so you start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you're about 2,200 feet below sea level. Now, that's a dangerous road. And then he writes this. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the Bloody Pass. And you know it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over on that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking and he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there. Lure them for a quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, say it with me, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? I've asked that question on the Broadway I have. Maybe you have too. Dr. King goes on. He says, but then the good Samaritan 
which was an oxymoron. There wasn't any such thing because you'll be reminded that a Samaritan was simply a person who had been taken from captivity out to Assyria that we looked at just a minute ago, had intermarried with their conquerors, and their children were known as Samaritans. So Jews and Samaritans never got along. They had a long history of hating each other. But Jesus uses these these weird words, good Samaritan, came by and he reversed the question, and he asked, read it with me, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Friends, justice doesn't just happen. It doesn't. It takes the people of God on mission for God to change the world. Now, uh, Old Testament professor Daniel Simonson, he writes about justice, the Hebrew word mispot, and he says that it's something people do. It calls on God's people to work for fairness and equality for all, particularly the weak and the powerless who are exploited by others. That's what we're working with, with justice. And that leads straight into loving kindness. Many of you, if you've read the scripture over and over again as you grew up, you learned it, do justice and loving kindness. Well, this is a very similar word to what we learn in the New Testament as agape. The Hebrew word is hesed. I can't say it like Hebrew people say it. Just trust me, it's something like hesed, right? (laughs) So, with a lot more spit to it. So, this hesed has Hebrew, it has to do with love, real love, not romantic love, but commitment kind of love, doing the best for the other, loyalty, and faithfulness. We get this picture from Paul when he writes to the early church in Corinth. He says, love, this kind of love, it's patient. It's kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. This does not insist on its own way. And at this point, you're leaning over the person next to you go, I've heard that at a wedding. <laughs> yes, you have. Because it's not easy to do. It's not irritable or resentful. You're like, is he still talking about marriage? Yes. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This hesed, this agape love, it never ends. Never ends. And it's much more than duty or obligation. Much more than that. It's about your heart being connected to someone. And you know it. I mean, you, you know, you've asked your kids to do a chore. And they do it, and they frown the whole time. They don't want to. They never wanted to. They slam the door after they take the trash out. They slam it on their way back in, and they sit back down to their video game. Duty. Obligation. To which some of the parents are like, well, at least they did it. Right? But that's not the kind of relationship this is. It's not begrudging. This hesed, it describes the key element in relationships. The the peace that you want, what you really want, whether it's in marriage or whether it's between human friends or even between God and humanity. We're not supposed to love God through gritted teeth. Certainly not the way he loves us. He loves us enough to die for us. On the cross. And this love, again, it is not just a, a little piece of what God's doing. It appears more than 250 times in the Old Testament. So between this mispot, this justice, and this hesed, 650 times in the Old Testament, this is a very central piece of what God wants God's people to know. And it is no ordinary love, friends. 
It is the love for others, inspired by the love of God in Jesus, sustained through the Holy Spirit. It's something that we don't even have the power to do on our own without Jesus. It's a gift. So this love, it's compassion, it's concern, it's mercy, it's loyalty, and steadfast love. Steadfast love, not love that comes and goes. Not love on a whim. So Paul writes about this love. He says, now faith, hope, and love, hesed, agape, Stay there. Abide in that. And these three, and the, say it with me, the greatest of these is love. Yeah, it never fails. Never ends. Dr. Cornell West of Tulsa, Oklahoma, writes it like this. Justice is what love looks like in public. Right? This justice, this loving kindness, it's very, very much a part of the same family. And so what God requires is much more than a single act. It's much more than showing up for Christmas or Easter or going on a mission trip. Although there's nothing wrong with those things, friends. Those are all good things. But they're meant to lead you into a life of hesed. A life of love. An outlook of love. A way of being a character that is love. So our master, Savior, Jesus, he talks about it like this. Love your enemies. What? Your enemies. Love them. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is kind, God is, to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, Jesus says. Your enemies. We're still enemies, friends. We haven't shifted gears here. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be put in your lap, friends, if you live this kind of life. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Jesus is simply telling you how God has created the world. If you will live like this, you're going to be just fine. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Every day. You see, Jesus understood kindness, this love, as a way of life. As an outlook. Your whole life. Not a piece here and a piece there. So this love, this hesed, is both what God gives us as a gift, but also what God expects from us in return. We love God because God first loved us. And so Jesus writes about this in John 15. He says, this is my commandment. That you love, you hesed, you agape, one another, as I have loved you. Well, we better think about that than hadn't we? How he loved us. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what Jesus is asking when he says, follow me. These are big, big, big things, friends. Big. So the Micah, the prophet Micah, he's, he's zeroed in on this. You say, well, how, how could we possibly do loving kindness today? Well, because it's good for you. Did you know that? There are actual benefits of engaging kindness. Friends, you are made for loving kindness. That's how God made you, created you. Um, there's a uh, researcher named Dr. Michelle Robin, and she has done research on what happens when you give kindness. Not just when you receive it, but when you actually give it. I want you to hear from her. Here she is. What we do know through these uh, acts of kindness to yourself and others, it changes the hormones and neurotransmitters. 
oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin. Those are the hormones that help you feel connected, help you feel motivated, and help you feel uh, happy. And so what I love about being kind is it will shift your own well-being, not just yours, but it will create a ripple of the other person that you're giving to, whether it's a smile, whether it's buying the person's cup of coffee behind you, whether it is writing a note or sending a text, I'm just thinking of you. It could be as simple as acknowledging your neighbor. From a medical standpoint, besides those feel-good hormones, it also lowers your blood pressure, helps you sleep better, um, will also lower your uh, risk for heart disease and cancer and improve your immune system. All right. Be kind, pass the donuts. I'm in. <laughs> right. That's a good deal. It's a good deal. And is anybody in here not need a better immune system these days? <laughs> Friends, when you show kindness, it lowers your blood pressure. It helps you sleep better. It improves your immune system system god knows what god's doing when he asks you to be kind it's a blessing for you kindness blesses both the giver and the receiver the wisdom of the bible the wisdom the proverbs wisdom says whoever pursues righteousness and kindness loving kindness will find life and honor now statistically proven scientifically proven so as um we were doing research uh for this sermon series um uh Reverend Adam Hamilton up in Kansas City at our largest United Methodist Church. Uh, they did this campaign and will do it every two years right around election cycle because we're trying to hold together things that the world is trying to pull apart. And so we're looking for examples of kindness, real kindness in the world where people actually choose to love one another and care for one another even if they're very different. Even if some people might consider them enemies today. Now some of you will remember um, Ronald Reagan back in the 1980s. It was a good time. Those were my high school and early college years. Uh, Reagan was 40th president of the United States. And Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House. They were, <laughs> to say it kindly, two political opposites. Reagan, the most conservative of conservatives, and Tip O'Neill, the most liberal of liberal Democrats. And in his book, Tip and the Gipper, Chris Matthews talked about their closeness, Right? When politics worked, I love that tagline, when it worked. And he writes about following the assassination attempt when O'Neill entered Reagan's hospital room. It was really unthinkable that of all the people Reagan could have called to his side, he asked for Tip O'Neill. And Speaker O'Neill, he walks over to the president's bed and he grasps both his hands. And he says, God bless you, Mr. President. A way of honoring him. And the president still seemed groggy. He was still hooked up to tubes and monitors and oxygen. But when he saw Tip, he lit up. He gave the speaker a big smile and he said, Thanks for coming, Tip. And then still holding on to the president's hands, he got down on his knees on that hospital room floor. And he said, Mr. President, I'd like to offer a prayer. And he prayed the 23rd Psalm from his heart. And he got up. He leaned over the president's bed. And he kissed him on his forehead. Friends, that's loving kindness. That's loving kindness. And when O'Neill was about to retire, 
of all people, he invited President Reagan to speak at his retirement celebration. Let's take a look. To be honest, I've always known the tip was behind me. <laughs> even, even it was only at the State of the Union address. As I made each proposal, I could hear Tip whispering to the George Bush, forget it, no way. <laughs> Fat chance. <laughs> I think it was inevitable, though, that there'd be a standoff between us. Imagine one Irishman trying to corner another Irishman in the Oval Office. But despite all this, Tip wanted me here. But ladies and gentlemen, I think you know Tip and I have been kidding each other for some time now. And I hope you also know how much I hope this continues for many years to come. A little kidding is, after all, a sign of affection. The sort of things that friends do to each other. And Mr. Speaker, I'm grateful you have permitted me in the past and I hope in the future that singular honor the honor of calling you my friend. I think the fact that... I think the fact of our friendship is testimony to the political system that we're part of and the country we live in. A country which permits two not-so-shy and not-so-retiring Irishmen to have it out on the issues rather than on each other or their countrymen. I was alive then, by the way. It's not that long ago. Love and kindness changes the world. We need more of it. So Paul writes about the true Christian life and what that looks like. It's described in Colossians 3. He says, as God's chosen ones, you and I, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Say it with me. Kindness, humility. Meekness and patience, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, Paul writes, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Now friends, it's been too long since we heard that sort of statement come across in a public way adam hamilton writes he says we can't wait for our leaders to model this for us maybe we need to model it for them for our leaders our leaders do what they think will get them elected period dot dot right what if we begin to model for them kindness and understanding with people that we disagree with you know we do actually elect people that look and sound like us so here's the good news we can all do something. Anyone can be kind. You can be kind. And I know what you're saying. It's been a long time. It's okay. Be brave. Be kind. Friends, we, I get, you are so kind. You are wonderfully kind people. I see it each and every day. When I step on the campus on Sunday mornings, I am just filled with joy and power and strength and love because of your loving kindness. For years here, we had a young man um, on Monday. It was the second anniversary of his passing, uh, Josh Kirkendall. Josh was our consummate greeter. Uh, this was at his Eagle Scout ceremony. 
Josh and I are Eagle Scouts together. We always loved having that in common. And we would have good prayer time. We, we would uh, come and we'd pray together. Uh, I, you don't, probably don't know this, but Josh, uh, for years, two or three years, um, for those of you who come on Wednesday night, he set up all the tables and chairs for us on Wednesdays. His love and kindness. Anyone can be kind. And I just want to say I, uh, prayers for Debbie and John and Glenn. Uh, I love him and I love his family. We miss Josh. He's not forgotten here. And then our wonderful little Audra over here. Um, many of you all know that she is a cancer survivor and thriver. But um, when she was battling leukemia, she wasn't just, you know, oh, poor me, I'm in the hospital bed. She got out, started painting, and then would sell her paintings for thousands of dollars for cancer research. And to help others, help other kids get through the struggle. Um, I found through her, many of you all know this from Christmas Eve, uh, Keaton. Keaton started the K-Club. Uh, who's now given out hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to care for children and cancer research and their families. There's no end of what you can do. Anyone can be kind. So um, I came across a little book, A Hundred Ways to Be Kind for Children. Adults, listen up. You can do it too. (laughs) Number one, hold the door open for someone you don't know. And I'm not doing all hundred. Relax. By the way, I hope when you come here, you've, you've witnessed that. Either you do that or that's been done for you. It's kind of fun. Particularly if you're like at a big event and everybody looks at you like you've lost your mind because there's like 200 people coming. Someone finally gets, you know, so un- uncomfortable. like, let me hold the door. I'm like, okay. Or you could just do a chore for someone in your family without them knowing. Maybe at your work. Maybe you've got that, you know, office coffee pot that no one wants to clean. You can just do it and not tell anybody. Or, I know this is scandalous, but next time you go to Costco, you could turn someone else's cart along with yours. You've got to go there anyway. You better be going there. Don't be leaving it in the parking lot. Come on. Or you could let someone go ahead of you in line, even at Walmart. And then this one, I thought this was kind of outrageous. I mean, particularly in January. They said, set up a lemonade stand and donate the profits. I was like, really? And then, you know, to my chagrin, uh, last week when I was standing out in the gathering space, I had a number of young, lovely little women of our church give me their proceeds from their lemonade stand. I know. (laughs) Right? So Maddie and Evie Fredeen, Fredeen's kids over here, and and Addie and Amaya Yarholer, the the little ones, that's Audra's little sisters, way to go, way to teach them. Right? Man, those little kids, I need to get, take some lessons. They, they, they gave us like more than 40 bucks. Wow. Right? Friends, anybody can be kind. You can do this. The world needs it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.